fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Wednesday, middle of the week. I've so far, I have done good on remembering my days after the Labor Day celebration. We've done our part so far. We'll see if we can maintain this record and this trend of not messing up at least the day that we're in. I don't know, because it's all kind of a blur to me at some point. So what's up? Welcome into it. It's wonderful to have you along for the ride today, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. But we are all over the country on multiple radio stations and TV and live streaming and podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. We would love to hear from you. Great to have you aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Programming note to you, by the way, as we talk about the all the media outlets that we're on with this program, I will be on for the very first time. We will be making our debut inaugural appearance on Newsmax on Friday. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? So we'll have more information on that here in the next day or so. Stay tuned in for that. But uh, yes, we will be broadcasting on Newsmax and really excited about that appearance here in a couple of days. Big show lined up for you today, as usual. Bottom of the hour, we have Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th District of Kansas. Now, I have to clarify and uh, just put this out there beforehand. We sat down and did this interview about a week ago, maybe over a week ago, during the session before the returning of Congress to Washington, D.C., uh, before they actually got up there to start doing their deal like they did as of, well, yesterday. So we chatted with him while he was back in the district talking about when they return, which is now, what the budget conversation will look like as Congressman Ron Estes is on the Ways and Means Committee, which means they are heading up a lot of the budgetary and taxes and spending and all these other programs and the federal budget that we probably won't see by the end of this month. But we sat down to pick his brain on what it could look like with the conversation. So, And I realized that we never actually played the interview on this program. In fact, we did it when we had filled in for the Todd Starnes radio program a week or so ago and aired it there, but we have not aired it on our own program. So I want to air it for you here to give you an opportunity to hear it. And now that the conversations are really happening, what was what were we expecting going into those conversations for the federal budget that probably won't end at the end of September like they're supposed to? but will lead to a continuing resolution into January. So we have that interview we'll play here in just a little bit. Big news today, though. Holy cow, because apparently someone's getting a little anxious. What's trending today? So Kamala Harris, who, as you know, every time she steps out and tries to make a statement, makes a fool out of herself and looks really, really dumb and people don't like her and her poll ratings go down. She's trying to make a new PR vision of herself and i've told you this many times before there are two things that make you popular in politics and that is a good pr team and a lot of money and she's got a lot of money behind her and she's rebranding her pr to make herself look more appeasing to the general constituency across the nation and i don't know that it's working but i will say that the breadcrumbs have been dropping over the past week and i'm telling you things are changing things are happening the breadcrumbs have been dropped. The teases have been made. And guess what? The operation Joe Biden falls down the chairs, uh, accidentally trips down the stairs while trying to tie his shoe is officially underway. This new COVID-19 strain that's out there, which we'll get to in just a minute, it is affecting 
the ones, obviously, that have been vaccinated, which is hilarious. Surprisingly, though, which is really strange, the vaccine for this new SB.5 or SD.5 or whatever the hell this thing's called, the vaccine has been underway in trying to be created since April or May. The virus wasn't announced as a public thing until, like, August, July, maybe. So they were already working on the vaccine that was specifically going to target this variant of the COVID-19 virus even before it was announced to the general population. So either they knew something we didn't because they had their crystal balls or there's something else weird going on here. That leads into the conspiracy theory. Put on the tinfoil hat for just a moment and ponder with me for just a moment. Uh, Jill Biden has COVID. Jill Biden out and about doing his thing but does not have COVID as of yet. But... Uh, More than likely, the fact that he is with his wife and is 81 years old and is not doing the best in health, especially mentally and cognitively, means that he could be hit with it anytime soon. Now, again, I want to put this into comparison here because uh, this new strain of the COVID-19 virus uh, gives you a sore throat and the sniffles. And a runny nose. That's that's literally the definition of it. Our local health departments across the country and right here in Kansas, where I'm at, uh, according to the news report, said that it gives you cold-like symptoms with a runny nose and sore throat. Which means, obviously, we need to run out, panic, and go get the next uh, vaccine because we will probably die unless we actually get that. So, that being said... They're very scared about it. They need to push the vaccines again. And Joe Biden will get it eventually, having Joe Biden by his side. Which means... With that coming up, with Kamala Harris trying to make her ends meet, and with a new budget conversation, the transition has begun. The breadcrumbs have been laid, and now with her interview that she sat down with, has made it very clear that she is prepared to be the next president of the United States. Uh, question about the president's age often go hand in hand with questions about how you would step in the role, you know, if necessary. Do you feel prepared for that possibility? Uh, as serving as vice president, prepared you for for that job? Yes. Yes, there it is. Boom. <laughs> Are you prepared for it? Yes, I am. Oh, can you elaborate, please, Vice President Kamala Harris? Which, by the way, as you listen to this, I know that her uh, voice is really one of those very annoying, screeching kind of annoying voices that just make your ears bleed a little bit, kind of like Hillary Clinton, kind of like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. And I'm not just saying that because they're females. My voice probably isn't the most appealing to some individuals either, but... Could you imagine listening to that daily as the president of the United States? Come on, ma'am. And how would you, you know, describe the, that, that process? Well, first of all, let's, I'm answering your hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Um, but Joe Biden's going to be fine. So that is not going to come to fruition. Mm. But let us also understand Plausible that every vice president. Plausible deniability, eh? Every vice president understands that when they take the oath, that they must be very clear about the responsibility they may have to take over the job of being president. I am no different. I am no different. I am prepared. I have not been prepared the entire three-year reign as vice president, but I am prepared now. The same time the virus hits, the same time Democrats are stagnant on the economy when they're getting low approval numbers, which are not turning out well for them on the campaign trail for the 13 million jobs created, for the great economy that they've created for all individuals across this nation, for the student loan program that they weren't able to complete before with the uh, student loan forgiveness program, with the social programs that they oh so desperately want to push through that they have not been able to do so. She's already unpopular. He's cognitively not able to continue to do what he's doing. This is the perfect time for that transition. Uh, Let's back it up a little bit before that, though. 
On the first time he asked her that question, which, by the way, this is hat tip to Fox News for this audio. On the very first time she asked him, or he asked her about stepping into the role as potential president of the United States. Uh, one issue for voters in the upcoming election is President Biden's age. An AP poll recently showed that 77 percent of Americans and 69 percent of Democrats uh, believe he's too old for a second term. Uh, do you think he's ready to serve as president until he's 86? And somebody who works with them, you know, have you seen changes in recent years? First of all, let me say that our president has been an extraordinary leader who has accomplished things that previous presidents hoped and dreamed and promised they would do and <laughs> did not achieve. You remember that whole thing about Infrastructure Week? Joe Biden, under his leadership and because of his leadership, passed the most substantial infrastructure law in recent American history, which is transformative in terms of what it is currently in the process of doing to build back up America's infrastructure, whether it be roads and bridges or ensuring that all families have access to affordable high-speed Internet. Yeah, yeah, okay, we get the point. Go down the entire list. And she doesn't actually answer the question in that one. But it is convenient that she kind of talks about it is almost like the obituary of him, kind of all the past tense. Look at everything that he did. He was such a great president. He was wonderful. Oh, what a great president. He completed more than any other president before him. But yes, I'm totally ready because that's what vice presidents do is their duty, and I am totally prepared to step into that seat. I'm telling you, Operation Joe Biden fall down the stairs while trying to tie his shoe is officially underway. Why? Because this is the perfect time for them to do it. We have budget talks that are in the works that are supposed to be done by the end of September that it won't be done by September, so they do the continuing resolution until the end of December while we're on holiday and we're not wanting to pay attention to politics and they can slip on another massive omnibus package. Along with that, as we said before, and I don't want to beat the dead horse and say the same thing over again, is that we have a $2 trillion increase in that budget, meaning that our new norm of reasonable spending, quote-unquote, for our radio listeners... Our normal level of spending will be the exact same level of what we did during the COVID-19 pandemic. The massive student, uh, the massive social programs, the expansion of the unemployment program, the massive expansion of the SNAP program and the food stamps, the universal basic income. I mean, the child tax credits, because that's exactly what they were. Andy, what do you mean? Well, it wasn't a child tax credit because they were paying it to Anyone that had kids, not just the ones who made enough income to qualify for that tax credit. It was for everybody. So it was not a child tax credit. It was a universal basic income. The Green New Deal, which they kind of sort of got with the infrastructure bill and with the Inflation Reduction Act that did nothing to actually solve inflation, as you can see with a 15 to 20 percent inflation we've seen over the past three years. None of that was actually completed to the full extent of what they wanted. And they're angry about that. And to them, they see the writing on the wall. They see Donald Trump, who is still leading in the polls by near 60 to 70 percent of Republican support, even with four indictments under his belt and being taken off of the campaign trail during the Super Tuesday primary election season coming up in February, March and April. And he's not losing any support. They are under the scrutiny to where even if they did, and I'm saying this is the theoreticals out there. Even if they did try to rig the elections last time, they're under scrutiny and complete microscopes now to where they're not able to do the same thing they did last time. And they realize that even if they lose the elections next year, it won't matter if they get their agenda done now. Democrats have been extremely smart on this for decades, for really their entire existence as a 
Democrat political party because they realize that even though they do something that's extremely unpopular, extremely unconstitutional, and extremely against every value of America, that we get angry, we vote them out for a session or two, they come back and they take over because the pendulum constantly swings. And Republicans are really good at screwing stuff up ourselves as well. And we're scared of our own shadows, so we end up doing really bad things uh, because we're fearful of losing support instead of actually just doing what we stand for. Democrats realize even if they lose for a couple sessions, they'll be back. But the programs that they created will never go away. They will never disappear. Why do we do now this uh, SAVE Act for the student loans? Because they didn't get a full-on write-off of the student loan program and bail everybody out, so they had to create a program. Now they want the full program back in action. So they can go to the campaign trail and say, look what we did. And even if it wasn't unpopular, if it was unpopular, and if they didn't get all the support and they lose the election, oh well, it's still there. We'll come back next time. We'll continue it on. The new fresh start, the new starting line for their agenda to move forward next time. They're talking about capping out this $2 trillion budget and then... Obviously asking for more money as we go into later next year again. Well, we can't pay our bills. We've run out of money. We need to do a debt ceiling increase again or just remove it altogether. They're not done with the agenda. And Joe Biden hasn't done it because while he's on the campaign trail saying that everything's great, it's not great and the polls show it and the people recognize it. So the smart move for them is to slide him out, bring the unpopular person in to get all the baggage and the dirt for what they're about to do, and then move forward with a new candidate in 2024 with a fresh start for the Democrat Party. It's a brilliant plan, honestly, and they're doing it all, all under the facade of COVID-19 again. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed, it is 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or hang out with us. I'm telling you, the unfinished business of the job site. The Democrat Party has their laundry list of things and they will get it done. They are ruthless, they are relentless, and they do not stop until it's done. And again, even if they lose their popular vote for a while, it's okay. The pendulum swings again, and then we will never repeal it. Republicans are too spineless, too cowardly, too scared of their own shadow to repeal things that are already in place because then we're killing people. We're letting people die in the streets. So here, again, the master plan We've been at this a little bit too long. I may be young, but I'm not stupid, or at least I'm not stupid enough to like be fooled for their agenda. Here's the three-step plan that they have in place right now. Number one, new COVID-19 variant. Very scary. Lock everything down. We need to go back to the way it was before. Very scary. Again, extremely ironic that we were working on a vaccine for this particular variant back in April before the announcement of this new strain of COVID that happened in like July or August. So that's kind of interesting to me. But nonetheless, we have a new vaccine or we have a new virus. Be very scared. Go get vaccinated. New variant uh, vaccine will come out soon. Uh, we'll get you all taken care of. It'll be beautiful. But in that stage, we have to declare an emergency again. According to the, I'm in Kansas, so I'm going to give you this number because this is the only one that I've heard so far, that apparently case numbers are up 15%. Now that doesn't include deaths, that doesn't include hospitalizations, just case numbers because of runny noses, 
and sore throats that are cold-like symptoms at a time of the fall when the kids are back in school and things are starting to cool down and we're getting to allergy and cold season. How ironic is that? But nonetheless, we got to lock things down. It's very scary. It could be another strain. Got to lock things down again. When they lock things down again is when they can start declaring for the emergency declaration. If we're under an emergency declaration again, they can finish off the social programs they started in round number one they didn't get to during the first lockdowns. Again, you can call it conspiracy. I call it political angling because this is how politics works and how Washington, D.C. works and especially how the elites work when they really, really, really want to get something done. So once they declare that emergency again, then, oh, you know what? Then it's totally justified to do a student loan forgiveness program. They tried to do before, but they did it after the declaration was over. So now they have a new one. Poof, we got to do that. Got to put back in the child tax credits. I mean, the universal basic income. Because, well, everybody can just start getting a monthly paycheck again. We can put in the Green New Deal. It's easier if you just work from home and we need to be environmentally sound. And even though you're not on the road, we again then need to put on all the electricity in your home because you're not charging your vehicles now. So now you need to charge your gas stoves or something. The plan. So step one, do the lockdown. Be very scared. It's new virus. Go get the vaccine. Number two, Biden, who he said early on, even before he got elected, was that he would step down if he ever has a medical issue. He has a medical issue. The COVID's really kind of kicking his butt. He's not really feeling well. He's getting up there in age. I got to go ahead and step down. Kamala, the extremely unpopular vice president of the United States, waltzes right in for the last year of the session. We have Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama, whoever's going to rise to the top on the Democrat Party uh, for the 2024 election. But Kamala, who's already extremely unpopular, trying to rebrand herself to be the useful idiot for the Democrat side, comes in, does the lockdowns, declares the emergency, and rams through the agenda. Because then she can go to the wayside. She completed her mission. Every useful person on the Democrat side has their purpose. Adam Schiff has hid, had his purpose. We have the lawyers right now going after Trump that had their purpose. Kamala has hers. She rams down that social programs, the expansion of the budget, not just the $2 trillion that we're going to see for our normal budget, but beyond that. Again, they've already allotted $2 trillion for next year. What's to say they just, just borrow into that one? And then they ram it through. And we see all the programs that they've ever wanted come to fruition, and Republicans won't stop it. Because, again, if you stop it, then you're harming people that are being hurt by another lockdown. Because economically, we can't take it after the great reprise, the great recovery that the Biden administration actually did. Again, it's a master plan. Stupid, but it's a master plan. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it on the home stretch here. Last half hour, man, it flies right on by. I always appreciate you hanging out and listening to my crazy theories about how the world works here on the show. Always fun to have you with us doing it as well. Trying to cram that 10 pounds reason into that five pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. Looking at, by the way, the schools, I'm telling you, this, Andy, this is crazy. It's not going to happen again. It's just a cold, right? 
That's a good question On we saw on the uh, feed was how many cases of the colds or flus are there out there right now? That's a good question. I don't know because a lot of people don't report them. It's a cold. We normally wouldn't report those because that would just be crazy. But apparently high schools in Alabama and Maryland are now mandating mask wearing again. In fact, Maryland schools are insisting children wear N95 masks for the next 10 days. 10 days to slow the spread. Oh, man. It's almost like deja vu all over again. The Alabama high schools are asking all students and staff to wear masks again as well to try and slow the spread of this new variant of COVID-19. At least the Maryland one's asking for the N95, right? I mean, the N95 is really the only thing that's going to stop the virus from getting to you. But golly, to make a kid wear that for, what, eight hours throughout the day? Yeah, that's going to work out really well. That's not going to make them sick at all in any way, shape, or form. But Andy, look at all the people that are sick this year. Yeah, because they've isolated themselves for years and their body forgot what flu season actually looks like uh, this year. All right, I want to shift gears. We sat down with Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th District here in the state of Kansas and on the Ways and Means Committee just a few days, a week or so ago to talk about what those budget conversations may look like now that Congress is back in session in Washington, D.C. And this is what he had to say right here on The Voice of Reason. You being on the Ways and Means Committee in the House of Representatives, what's on the docket? What's the latest conversation? And could we actually see a proper federal budget this year? Yeah, you're, you're right. In terms of uh, priorities, when we get back after Labor Day, it's going to be pretty hectic with uh, with things going on uh, for the month of September. And you know, as you said, September's the end of this fiscal year, so we have to prepare our appropriations, our spending for fiscal year 2024. And we got to get that done in, in September. And it, it's it's one of those things. There's 12 different uh, spending bills that uh, we we pass each year to uh, to fund the federal government, and they're broken down with different. You know, one of them funds the agriculture department, one funds the the defense, and one funds uh, uh, health and human services, and and uh, you know each of the different uh, agencies. And right now, only one of the 12 has passed the House. None of them have passed the Senate, mm-hmm. and and so uh, we've got a lot of work to do. One of the things we we typically we frequently get into, and and I, I think we do it too often, is we get into what's called a continuing resolution. We can't come to final agreement on all twelve bills for the next fiscal year, so we do a continuing resolution, which basically means we we keep spending at the same rate as uh, the, the current year, and uh, basically kick the can down the road for a few days or a few weeks or you know even two or three months uh, while they continue to banter back and forth about uh, what spending ought to be. And my big concern right now, it's two things. One, I don't want to necessarily do continuing resolutions as a normal course of business because you can't, you can't plan. I mean, the defense uh, agencies can't, they can't buy spare parts if it takes a longer lead time past the continuing resolution. They can't schedule uh, folks for training. Um, And then the other part that's going to come up in this discussion is just how much should we be spending? Yeah. You know, right now, the federal government this fiscal year is borrowing one dollar out of every five that it spends. Wow. So basically, twenty percent of the spending is being borrowed, and that's that's not right. I mean, that's what we're dumping this burden on our kids and grandkids and great grandkids just to fund the the quality of life we want to live today, and we're mortgaging their future forever. And so we we really got to address the spending, and I know that's going to be a hot topic because uh, there's some people that view their role in government as just spending. And uh, we, we can't we can't continue that vote. 
No, we can't continue that trend. And it seems like whenever we have a budget, and obviously after the big uh, bill that we passed back in June that at least allowed us to continue on with the budget until the end of this fiscal year and then beyond, it seems like with whatever we raise the debt ceiling to be, they want to cap it at that. We They want to max out the credit card each and every time instead of saying, yeah, we have this uh, up to whatever that that spending cap may be, but we want to maybe not spend all of that, have a budget that's a little bit lower. So if an emergency or a disaster or something comes up, then we have a little bit of give room. They don't want to do that. They want to cap it out every single time and say, this is how much that's available. Let's go ahead and push that. And then we always run into, well, we always need more money. So let's go ahead and raise it all over again. And it's the same argument, Congressman. We've seen this since the Obama administration, where we have this continuing resolution till December, and then, or else we shut down the government, people die in the streets. Then we get to December, people are trying to get into the holiday mode, trying to enjoy the Christmas and New Year's and everything else at that time. And then again, it's either we do another continuing resolution until January or February, or we just do another omnibus package until the next fiscal year and then start the process all over again. And I think most people are getting pretty frustrated with this process. It, it really is. It's frustrating. And, you know, the goal is not to shut down the government, but the goal is let's live within our means. And and that's the big piece that that doesn't get done. And, and you've got to do it every year. You've got to, It's just like your own household budget. You've got to look at yourself every month and, and what you have as income and, and what you're spending. And the federal government needs to do that. And, and instead, people turn a blind eye because it's, it's so much easier to to throw more money at a program because somebody asked you to, instead of making the hard choices of saying, this is very beneficial and this is something we ought to spend money for. This is something that we should not borrow from our kids and grandkids just to fund extra money this year and, and, and make those tough decisions. And, and we need to do them every year. We need to get, we need to get back into a, a regular thought process of saying, how do we, how do we manage and, and be good fiscal stewards of the taxpayer dollars? Yeah. Uh, it is a long, frustrating process, but hopefully we can see a little bit of gain this year. I know that there have been some uh, Republicans that have sent a letter to Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, saying that they would not go along with just capping out the budget all over again and that they would start voting against what's currently being discussed. Is that a threat right now, uh, or is it going to actually do something to try and lower some of that spending and at least come up with a semi-decent plan for a bill coming out of the House? Now, the Senate's obviously a different battle, but... Uh, do you think the final bill, from what you've heard, may be a semi-decent one out of the House of Representatives? Well, it it, it, it depends on your definition of semi-decent. I mean, the, <laughs> the problem is, you know, like I said, we're we're borrow the federal government is borrowing one out of five dollars it spends, and that that's roughly equivalent to one and a half trillion dollars. Yeah. So we're not going to be able to solve it on any one year. Right. Um, but the 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 House Freedom Caucus folks are out there talking about. And this letter that that uh, some of them crafted and, and sent uh, sent to Speaker McCarthy it is a, a good stake in the ground that we've we've got to start addressing how much we're spending more than what we have coming in as revenue, and it's going to take it's going to take several years uh, to get into the, uh, to get back to where we need to be, uh, but we've actually got to start to work, and and I'm. I'm happy that we're we're starting that discussion. Uh, there's uh, there's even a, a bipartisan group of some Democrats and Republicans that uh, we, we we call ourselves a bipartisan fiscal forum. But it it's um, we're at least starting to talk about it. It's it's a long road to go uh, yeah. to figure out how do we fix it. Uh, but the the discussion has to start, and 
we we've got to start and now's as but it's good time as any. I mean, ten years would have been a better time, but now's as good a time as any to actually at least start the process. We got to start somewhere. We can't go down halfway down the road unless we actually start that journey from the beginning. We're talking with Congressman Ron Estes from the fourth district here in the state of Kansas, my congressman in the great state of Kansas. Let's talk about the economy for a second as a whole. We see the Biden administration out there on the campaign trail, running campaign ads all over the country. Now that he's announced that he's also sinking in $25 million into TV ads in some pretty big swing states, including Wisconsin, where we're seeing the presidential debate uh, this week as well for the Republican side, talking about how great the economy is with this 13 million jobs that's added and how inflation's come down and how wonderful things are and why in the world do I see such low poll ratings and approval ratings for my economy when I've solved the issue and I've been the Gandalf riding on his great white horse coming in to save the day. Uh, Congressman, I think that people are a bit smarter than that, aren't they? Because gas prices are over $4 right now. Mortgage rates just hit over 7% across the nation, which is going to kill the real estate market or at least damage it pretty decently right now. We didn't create 13 million jobs. And oh, by the way, we're floating between 15 to 20% inflation overall for the past three years under the Biden administration. Yeah, but I mean, President Biden's cherry picking numbers to make himself look good. I mean, he he takes credit for all the jobs that were recovered back out of COVID, uh, even though he had nothing to do with the vaccine being developed and 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 the economy getting back open after all the shutdown around around the uh, the pandemic. Uh, so he takes credit for all of those jobs that uh, he didn't do anything to 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 put people back to work. I mean, he, he cherry picks the inflation numbers and he says, well, just look at this this one month's number. And, you know, it's it's down a whole lot more from what the one number number was a year ago. But what he doesn't tell you is that since he's been in office, inflation costs have gone up over 16 percent on average on mm-hmm. everything from groceries to gas to to uh, uh, your rent and, and car payments. And, and that's the equivalent of two months pay. So literally everybody's lost two months pay to buy the same groceries, the same gas. And, 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 and that's just since he's been in office in the last two and a half years, gasoline prices are up even more than that. I mean, they're up 34% since he came into office. He tries to blame Putin for that. But if you look at what the gas prices were, they were up uh, as high before Putin invaded. And now they've come back down from, from Putin's invasion uh, and they're still high because of, of President Biden and his attack on fossil fuel and, and America having a strong energy policy. And so it, people are feeling the pinch. They're feeling how much it costs to buy back to school clothes and supplies, to buy groceries and feed their family. Uh, we're seeing it with interest rates. You know, you can't you can't buy a house now because of the interest rates have gotten so high. You know, monthly your monthly mortgage payments are double from what they were a year and a half ago and it's all because of biden economics and the things that he's causing uh, the high prices and and uh, taking money out of people's pocketbooks this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Last couple of minutes here on a midweek celebration here for a Wednesday post the Labor Day. Hard to believe trying to still get back into the groove of things. I get it. Hang tight. You'll go back into the swing of things. But we are on the trifecta of holidays now. We have Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas. I guess there's four because then you got New Year's as well. And then the whole cycle starts all over again. By the way, with the return to Congress, Congress acting like they care about what's going on at the southern border, at least some of them. We have the budget crisis. We have the farm bill crisis. But then we also have the uh, crisis at the border right now where Bidens are like, oh, there's, again, there's these aren't the droids you're looking for. Nothing to see here. Move along, sir. And yet we want to go live to our breaking news going down at the southern border. What's trending today? Yeah, we got to go live down there because, well, I take that back. we not going live to the border. We're going to go live to the most dangerous place in America right now because apparently that's not... <laughs> That's not the southern border, but of course, that is the home to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I am told this is a garbage disposal. Where we go live to AOC's camp, where she says that she's now visiting the most dangerous place in America as she tours the New York-era facilities. According to Fox News, during an interview where she did with the squad member, she says that she's not been down to the border since the changes from the Biden administration, because that was a Trump thing where she had to sit there in her white and sit there at the fence and cry or talk about how they're drinking toilet water or whatever guess what i've been to the border didn't see that either but she saw that and we had to take the the very optic pictures of her sobbing and crying to put on social media she hasn't been back down there yet she has however gone to the uh immigration facilities in new york where they're like hey please stop sending us people please stop sending us stuff here we can't afford this any longer we are the greatest city in the entire nation with the biggest budget out of any city in the entire nation We can't afford this. Can you please stop? So she's traveled there now. And according to the interview with the New York Times said, quote, right now, the crisis is in our own backyard and we have toured the Roosevelt Hotel. And I think it's been very important for us to, especially to my constituents who are demanding accountability on this, to look at the front line that is right here in New York City. The front lines of the immigration crisis, my friends, are right there. In New York City. Now, again, these are the ones that are advocating for the open borders. You are racist if you don't allow anybody to just walk into the country. We're not allowing illegals. We just are scanning them through an app and then giving them the food stamp card and sending them on the bus to go to wherever we want them to. These are the individuals that we have to allow them because they're dreamers. They're the ones that have the great vision. They're the ones trying to experience the great American dream. So when we send them to a city who's open to it, When we send them to a city who's financially more capable than a town of 50,000 people because they have, what, 5 million people? I don't know what the population of New York is. 10 million people? Whatever it is. When they're capable of handling it better than anywhere else, they lose their minds. And now, according to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the front line of the immigration crisis is not the small town that's been run rampant by drug cartels and by criminals and by illegal immigrants uh, that do not have any papers and just continue to do their deals. But it is New York City where they're cramping up the hotels because, by golly, we need the hotels. We need the opportunity to stay there. We need the opportunity to go and enjoy the great city of the Big Apple in Manhattan and New York City. But no, they're being overrun by people that we don't want here. Now, with the increase in crime across the nation, with the increase in homelessness across the nation, with the increase in migrants across the nation, I, I, I'm i not the smartest guy. I didn't actually finish college. 
But is there a common denominator between all those? I mean, it could be wrong, totally. I mean, we have an increase in fentanyl. We have an increase in crime, uh, and I mean like human trafficking crime. We have an increase in drug trafficking crime. We have an increase in, uh, uh, um, well, I mean, gun trafficking too, I guess. Let's see, did I cover all them? Drugs and humans and guns and, oh my. <laughs> They're in, are all over the place, but yet, no, no. It's not the uh, immigrants, and it's not New York City. It's the small towns that we need to send them to. We need to send them to rural America, where we can change the dynamic. We need to get them to be registered voters. We need to get them to be part of the community. And a great place to do that would be a place like New York City, where they can actually uh, absorb them and then get them on the right track. But stop that. The front lines. Out live from the front lines of New York City. It's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez fighting the real fight, getting down to the nitty-gritty of what really needs to be done to save this nation. Welcome to the Democrat Party. I'm telling you, the unfinished business of the job site of the Democrat Party going into the fall session is going to be a big one. And get ready for it. Until then, we're back at it again tomorrow. We have a lot more to cover. Be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. It's time to bring some common sense reason and rationale to the conversation. And we'll do that again tomorrow right here on The Voice Reason. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.